Welcome to Schmigadoonery, the podcast where we dissect and review the new TV show, Schmigadoon. Derek Myers, and joining me from Birmingham, Alabama, is my co-host and best friend, Lynn. How are you today, Lynn? What's up? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm, you know, excited to dive into this episode. It's been, it's been a bit of a day today, but, you know, I'm, I'm ready to kind of dive into some musical theater. How about what, you? What, what does that mean? It's been a bit of a day. Just longer than I expected. Uh, it just, there were, things kept kind of adding up. It's like, oh, well, now I have to go do this. In order to get that done, I have to go do, you know. Um, but we're here now, and it's good. Yeah, well, that's good. Um, yeah, our day has been pretty chill. We went and had lunch with our godsons and my best friend and just... Um, other than that, we've been at the house. Uh, before we get into the episode, I actually have two apologies that I need to make from episode one because um, I've been sending it out to you know my friends and family and blah, 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 and telling them to listen. And the first apology I need to give is to my husband because he wanted me to correct that he didn't hit the high note in Evermore. He hit the end note and held it out to its full length of time. And that that is a much bigger deal than hitting one little note. And so <laughs> when, when the episode came out, he immediately texted me. He was at work listening to it, and he immediately texted me to correct me on that. So I told him I'd apologize. And the second person to come at me um, is actually my dear friend, um, Elijah St. James. Um, he's also the worship pastor at our church. Um, he wanted me to know that the true private practice fans in the world um, would like for Addison to get her recognition as a neonatal surgeon. Because, you know, I, I just kind of said, oh, they're all surgeons. Oh, but, oh, but, yeah. but she was a neonatal surgeon, and he just wanted me to know <laughs> that it's as like, a true Addison right. fan... We should have paid her a little bit more respect. So well, and that's um, why I pointed her out because I was like, I remember <laughs> private practice. Like there was something specific about her being like one of the best at what she is. And I remember there was something where she had she was going to use like the Da Vinci machine to do something on some surgery. But anyways, like that. That's why that. That's why I thought of her. I'm gonna be real honest. Um, the only thing, like I remember the the essence of private practice, and I remember like, you know. The whole purpose and that's how we got introduced to Derek's sister Amelia and all this other stuff but 
every time I think about that show, I just think about the episode where the girl, the one doctor, she was pregnant and the girl broke into her house and cut the baby out of her stomach and stole the baby. <laughs> yes, and that's like that. all I think about. But that's a whole like that's a whole other review show. So we, we're not Maybe really going we'll to get into that. But I did I did want to um, apologize to them and give um, Alicia a, a shout out. Um, if you guys are really interested in some some just great wholesome worship music, you can find him on Apple Music. He just had a new EP come out called Love So Deep. So go check him out. He's he's awesome. But I. We're sorry that we didn't pay Addison enough respect, Elijah. <laughs> <laughs> well, here you go, Addison. There's your, there's your respect. <laughs> did you did you have um, any feedback from episode one from anybody? No, I didn't hear any feedback from anybody. So I don't know if anybody that was from my, my list listened to it. I mean, it was two hours. It was two hours hours and hopefully well not hopefully i mean we we went over two full episodes in in one so the timing is going to be better and and much better paced but i mean even watching episode three it felt so much quicker i was ready at the end i was like okay that's the end of like act two of the episode let's act oh it's over yeah yeah me too i was like okay cool and then i was like I kept, I kept like every time I watched it, I was like, no, it's the same time frame, but it just, the storyline was just much, it was more condensed, I mm-hmm. think, mm-hmm. this episode than, than the first two. But anyways, let's, let's get a summary, shall we? Yes. Okay. So we left off with um, Melissa and Josh, both on their dates from the basket auction. So here we are the next morning. Melissa wakes up to find Danny making her breakfast. Um, and she sees him as more of a one night stand and leaves him while he is still like just reminiscing about his future offspring that he thinks that they're going to have. Right. And meanwhile, Josh is quickly engaged to Betsy. Both of them are denied um, lodging since Mildred has banned them from the end because of her prejudices against them. Josh attempts to cross the bridge with Betsy to see if she is his true love, but he fails. So he tries again with other women to no avail. Melissa attempts to seek help from the mayor's wife, who appears to be aware of his sexual orientation. Um, and Josh is suddenly caught by um, the farmer who chases him with his shotgun. And then Josh seeks solace in the Reverend Layton's church when he suddenly notices Emma Tate, who did not cross the bridge with him. And finally, we end with Melissa asking for a job as a nurse from Dr. Lopez, with whom she is instantly smitten. So, lots. It, it sounds like there's a lot, lot in this episode, but it did really go by so fast. Yeah, it went by so fast. And... Uh... We we got and I'm only going to say this now because and hopefully you remind me to get back to it. But uh, when I first, uh, you know, when he when they when he got to the line, I was like, oh, you must be looking for another Doc Lopez at the end. And then I was like, oh, I know what's going to happen. It's going to be the really hot doctor. It's the young son. And then she turned around to the yonk. I was like, that's the look Lynn had on her face when I first said, okay, Lynn, this is Ruben. He's going to be the he's going to be your. your, <laughs> your <laughs> So, so, so we did talk about Ruben in the last uh-huh. episode. Now, I, I want to go out there and I want to say this. Ruben was pre my husband. Yes. Like, I, I had not even met my husband yet. This was 
two and a half, three years prior. Um, and he was a very nice looking guy. Now, would we have ever worked outside of just being great co-stars? No, like, yeah. like absolutely not. Well, like our- like it was, it was, you know, it was, it was lust at first sight and is, which is fine. People are beautiful, but then you get to know somebody and you go, and then you get oh, to know them. You're like, oh, we're, we're friends. Yeah. We're, we're it's just that's friends. Okay. Yeah, we're friends. And he 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 is he was a great performer. That was Beautiful his first voice. show. Like that was the first thing he had ever done like that and he was the leading man and it was you know a lot for him. And I also think that um that may have been part of the the like lust factor as well. It was like one he's good looking, but two he's new to this and I get to be the one to break him into it. You well, know, yeah, like you I'm bringing Marilyn him Monroe, to my world. So it's like, you know, it's it, 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 it it's it, you know and i feel like even like with you know professionals all the time talk about you know when you have to be in love with somebody on screen over and over or on stage over and over yeah there is there is a certain attraction that's there that becomes real after a while that right. you know it's 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 a showmance it is and that's exactly what it was it was a showmance i probably i i know i had that look i'm not even going to say i probably had that look i know i had that look and i know that i was really excited to have someone working opposite of me that was attractive and most of that was because we had to kiss like it wasn't you know it wasn't like I couldn't not want to kiss him I mean I had to and it had to look natural and also like you said I played Marilyn Monroe and she was very outspoken she was very aware of her body and and her curves and she, and what she, she like wore sex in a certain way yeah like she had this like she had this like sexual essence about her and i think that playing into that was really mostly just what it was you know like and who who doesn't like to have just someone cute to look at when they're... yeah it's much easier than having to fake it with like the troll underneath the bridge like you know it's right it's, right you know, it makes and your also, job I mean, easier is it really any different than like seeing celebrities on TV and being like, oh, they're cute? No, you know, it, it it's not. And our, I think, you know, the fact that he was he was cute, it made our attraction, um, like our natural like attraction on stage, just the chemistry. And y'all more. were both both single adults, so don't nobody need, you know. <laughs> I know, but we're gonna stop talking about that because I don't need anybody to come and say. Oh my gosh, she still has feelings for him. I don't. Let me go on the record. Oh, no, I never is, had feelings. Was, it wasn't like that. We're just saying the look Melissa had for Doc That Lopez, was lust. That was not love. Lynn has had that look for co-stars in the past. <laughs> well, and, and then very also to point out that point that too, that was very much so a, you know, all, you know, almost that look that she had at the beginning after they kind of met at the very beginning but it was that i think starting into the cycle of her falling for somebody over lust and then but maybe confusing that a bit so we'll see how she gets how she starts into this and if it ends up i mean she had the same look with danny when she first walked by him you know like it's just her thing so eh. and we see how those ended those those are not people fall in love with the eyes first yeah that's just life Love can grow <laughs> just as much as it can diminish over That's time. True. That's true. <laughs> um, well, let's let's really get into it. So kind of like we've seen in the first two episodes, they open us up by seeing their real life, their pre-Schmigadoon 
life and we are a year and some odd months or something whatever it says before Schmigadoon um they're at a wedding where Melissa is a bridesmaid um she almost looks incredibly awkward like like she's out of place being a bridesmaid oh, and I it's kind of that whole like 27 dresses you know like she's always the bridesmaid never the bride um she's at her friend's wedding and then her friend is telling this incredible story about her grandparents um called the what they called their for what what's the name for Froisman feeling the Froisman. i think their last it's, name is Froisman. yeah so she's explaining this concept where her her grandparents apparently met and the same day they met they went for a walk and they walked straight to the courthouse because they just knew like it was true love and here we are 50 years later they're still together they're still married and their family calls it the Froisman feeling which is the family's last name um and i'm telling that story i want you guys to keep that in mind because it comes to play again later on in the episode in a very big way wonderful musical theater foreshadowing <laughs> but as we're hearing the story you know all is well and then all of a sudden it's announced that the bridesmaids are supposed to dance and that a few measures into the song their significant other is supposed supposed to join them on the dance floor yet josh is once again leaving melissa alone and feeling abandoned she's the only one whose significant other doesn't come on the dance floor yeah and that was that was definitely like one of those moments so um for those of you who don't know lynn recently got married i think we said whoop, that last week, but it was it was well not even a year ago it's now almost it's almost a year it'll be a year in the fall but mm -hmm. um and i was you know well i wasn't in the wedding i played for the wedding i wasn't in the wedding but i was it, it kind of brought me back a little bit to some of because i think i know most of your immediate family but i don't know your cousins and some of the more the far reaches in there there was some dancing going on there that i was like i have i don't think i've ever seen a body move like that well i was i wrote down that in this in this moment where melissa's out there dancing and trying to have fun and josh is sitting at the table like no you've got it you've got it that is so like there's so many moments watching this show where I have said I would be Josh and James would be Melissa. And this is a moment <laughs> I like see that. I, I thought about, you know, our wedding and how and not even just our wedding, every wedding, every event we go to. If there is a DJ, you are going to find my husband on the dance floor, even if he's the only one on the dance floor. And especially with line dances, things like that, where the song is kind of telling you what you're supposed to do, those big crowd, everybody get out there and have fun. That is all him. Like, that was... That's always all him. And a lot of times I'll get out there and I will join him and I'll have fun, but like... There are so many moments where I'm just like, no, 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 babe, you, you got it. it. You're fine. You don't, you don't need me. And the only difference between him and Melissa is that he doesn't care if I join him or not. Like he is going to go out there and he's, he's going to have a, a really good, good time. But yeah. Um, but it's also I, one thing too, when it's like, he's just dancing and inviting you up versus, okay, now all of the other spouses and boyfriends of everybody else are going to come up and dance. That's like, true. that's different. Then I would be like, okay, I'll get up and kind of like play along 
<laughs> you know? Yeah. Okay. I'll pretend with the words. No. And I guess, yeah, like that, that, that is different. Um, but that's also too, probably why we get along a lot because like, even when we would go to, even through the club, like we to see drag shows, we're like, we just want to sit down and watch the show. We don't want to like dance, turn the music down. We were very like, give me a drink and let me let me see the show that's, yeah that's what we're here for. yeah we we were there more for the entertainment mm-hmm. of just like being there and people watching and you know like having a drink or two before we went home and we were not there to just dance and anybody got time for that okay like <laughs> I, I don't and that's why people have to wear heels inside and flip-flops when they leave because they stand out there and they dance the whole night and more props to them i'm not one of those people (laughs) and i'm just i'm definitely not but um like we said josh just doesn't come out there and then it leads to this really awkward conversation in the car um it she's bringing up how you know, I wish you would have danced with me. And he's like, oh, you know, line dances, weddings, all that stuff. You you know, I hate it. And she's like, well, I hate when you leave me alone. And he, he says, I love you. And I wrote down in big letters like, this is the only time so far that we've heard Josh say I love you with the exception of him saying it to try to get across the bridge. Mm-hmm. So this is the first time we have heard it in their pre-Schmigadoon storyline. And he only said it to avoid a fight. It still wasn't said in like this sincere, honey, I love you thing. It was it was said so that she would change the, the subject and move forward. But then she still says, wow, like, so they're married. They're married before us, you know, like they, they must have, her, their friends must have met after them and are now married before them. So their love story has progressed faster. And so Melissa is is bringing that up. And then he changes the subject again with this whole like, um, okay, okay, okay. What, what were your worst three of the night? And they go through and they list with their worst three things. And I actually asked James, I said, do you have, like for our wedding, do you have three worst moments? Hmm. And I was like, because I don't think I do. I said, I think for me, it would be the three best. And James said, because after listening to the podcast, James actually said the pod listening to it made him want to watch the show, which is great. Hmm. Like that's the whole purpose of this. And like, James, great, now Apple give us money. No. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> come on. And so James isn't a huge huge musical theater fan um he he does listen to it he has started within the last year so getting more into it i think for me you know like he's gotten to where if we're on a long car ride he will sit and he will listen to a musical from start to finish and just you know try to take it in that way um but he said well you know why he said the worst right and i was like no, why? And I'm thinking it's just, you know, to make a joke. And James was like, because he doesn't believe in marriage. Mm. He's already said that he hates like everything about weddings. So why would he point out anything positive about them to her when he wants her to kind of think that weddings are bad? So she'll stop bringing up this idea of marriage, which I thought was a really great point. Um, but I still, I still said, well, what would the top three from our wedding be? 
because I don't, I didn't have three worst. And, you know, we, we listed things like food and the DJ, because we did have a really great DJ. We had excellent, excellent food as well. And then my third top three was going to be like the the decor because the drama and the elegance that I brought to my wedding day was top notch in my opinion. And send me some pictures so I can put them in on the YouTube. But when I talk about, I mean, the ceremony was beautiful, but this after part, the reception when they child, when they let you guys in, I was, I was, I was like, okay, she did fine without me. I'm, I'm proud yeah, Derek Derek used to tell me that I would not be allowed to plan my wedding without him present. But <laughs> I was planning my wedding during COVID, so Derek could not be in Birmingham to help me plan my wedding. He was in New York. So, um, yeah, that didn't happen. But I, I wasn't in there when everybody else walked in, obviously, because they had to announce us. Um, and I, I got to go see the space right before everyone else did, though. But when I ca- finally came in there... Um, my bridesmaids were like, Lynn, you should have seen everybody. They were just walking in normal. And as soon as they got in, like past the little candle entryway, everybody's phones were coming out and they were like, oh my gosh. And I was like, well, good. Like, that's what you hope for. Like you hope people will come to your wedding. And, and it wasn't even, I never heard one night, like, oh my gosh, I want this. It was more of like, oh my gosh, this is so you. I didn't expect anything else. And that's what you want. You want people to come and see your personality and see your love story. And and I think that's great. So that was my top three. My husband's top three was that I hurt my ankle. That was his third <laughs> choice. Was that my ankle was swollen. Oh, gosh. And he said, um, he, I was like, really? And then he took it back. I was like, no, no, no. My my other my other favorite was, was our wedding vows because they were so sweet. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You already said the ankle. So the... He, he just said that he thinks that's just a great story that we can I keep. will I will say though that that to me that answer to me sounds is more real because you know saying oh our vows or or I married you feels too like oh obvious but that seems like he actually took a moment to think about yeah. it and really truly yeah you know. well but the but as the bride I was not happy I had hurt my ankle so um and when he he said that i finally started thinking well okay there has to be three things that happened that we just weren't all that stoked about um one for him was our cocktail hour he felt like it was a little too long i thought the cocktail hour was great because i got a break from having people in my face (laughs) for a little bit because i mean literally i'd been up since 5 30 and you're like this is my union break like it was just literally like i can sit here in peace and quiet for 45 minutes or however long it was um mine was i don't know if you know you had already left for the night so you don't know this yeah y'all they went on partying for i we we so this (laughs) wedding was at four the five? ceremony started at four thirty. Four thirty, the and then five to like, six. Yeah, was the five to six hour. was cocktail hour, and then six to seven was like when the reception started. But like that was like the dinner and all the traditional things. And then, I mean, we left at like twelve thirty. You know, so it was literally an all night. Yeah, I mean, I think thing. we left to go back to our hotel rooms around eleven, and you know, well, we're still like bumping. Yeah, we were still bumping. Well, about. 
11.15 or so, my mom came and she hugged me goodbye and she said she was going to go upstairs to her hotel room and she was tired, you know, she'd had a long day and I thought, oh, you know, that's, that's not a problem at all. I mean, my dad told me from the beginning, I'm not leaving till you leave. I want to see every moment that you see. I want to experience the whole thing. And if you know me and my dad, that's just our personality. I'm a huge daddy's girl. So I didn't expect him to go anywhere. I, I just thought he would sit off to the side and enjoy watching the whole thing. My mom left. Um, James's parents, they were still there. His dad was dancing. His mom was out in the photo booth every chance she got taking pictures because she had everybody that was there she wanted to take a picture with. And she was just having the time of her life doing that. But my mom, you know, decided to leave whatever. And about 30 to 40 minutes later, I'm talking to my wedding coordinator and designer. um, And she says, oh my gosh, And I'm like, what? She was like, don't turn around. Don't turn around. Don't turn around. And I turn around. My mom had come back, which wouldn't have been a problem, except she had already showered and changed. So she was no longer. Okay, no, I think that's around the time we left. Because I remember, because she showed us the story. I was like, I remember seeing your mother, like, changed in, like, in normal clothes and, like, with wet hair. Her hair was soaking wet, you guys. Like, love you mom but you look like a wet dog and I literally was like oh my gosh you can't be here what are you doing she was like oh I just decided I wanted another piece of cake and I was like rushing people like (laughs) get her some cake put it in a box and and kind of (laughs) sending her on her way um but other than that you know like we didn't really have any like worse moments and I typically you know I think it's easier if it's not your wedding to point out the bad things so looking at our wedding probably isn't as accurate but I don't know I I just feel bad for her because he's drug her on this little game you know but for me all this scene said is he's afraid of commitment he doesn't take Melissa's concerns seriously um and whenever he is forced to put work into their relationship he does his best to avoid it yeah yeah, and it's very well. It's like I can see it from from both sides of, and I don't think either ones. I think just their intentions were misaligned. You know, Melissa was going into this relationship kind of aiming for marriage. He went mm-hmm. into this relationship aiming for you know some you know a good time that night, and then we see what happens. And so, and I think he's also gotten to this point where he's years have gone by, and he's just like, oh shit, now like how the fuck did we get here? You know? <laughs> yeah, like how do I get out of this? Uh-huh. Like I've I've and I like, dragged I don't it hurt on. Her. I do like her a lot, but like this is not where I expect it to be. Right, right. Well, we leave that awkward car ride and we get back into Schmigadoon. It's the next day. Melissa is waking up from her date with Danny at the Tunnel of Love in Danny's bed. (laughs) So she wakes up, she realizes what happened, and um, she's like, oh, great. And she realizes that all of that intoxication from the gentleman's punch the day before, um, it kind of led her to make some bad decisions. So... In her mind, she's going to get up. She's going to excuse herself. You know, Danny's the bad boy. It's not It's not really going to phase him. I'm just going to thank him for the night before. I'm going to leave. And um, Danny has a different <laughs> intentions to him. Last night meant not only, not only is this his bride, but somehow or another, she's pregnant already. 
Yes. <laughs> like he knows. He, he knows, knows he has a baby a doubt, on the way. This is exactly what happened. Yeah, that was that was that was a detail that I was like, okay, and we're in the song already. Okay. Yeah, I was, However, like, I was like oh, that breakfast okay. though. It was very like a musical theater like I wrote down that breakfast in big capital letters and I was thinking the whole time like I looked at it and I was like okay they have pancakes, french toast, bacon, all kinds of fruit, all like everything and I'm like who was he feeding? <laughs> However funnily enough like granted if like for instance like if your whole family was staying at your house, like that is what I would, you know, like this is what Expect, I would think Lynn right? would put out on the table, but for a whole family. Yes, I do breakfast like that when like my family is here for the holidays or like James um, will get up and he will cook a really nice breakfast if like our godsons are here and they have a special request. Like if they're like, we want pancakes or we want waffles or we want bacon and eggs, but we we don't, I mean, that was elaborate. And I, if it's not Christmas or Thanksgiving or your birthday or something, I'm not putting out a breakfast like that. And it was like so elaborate to the point of where it's like, <laughs> it's like this was quite obviously prepared on a prop table outside and we wheeled it on stage. Like it was very obvious. And it's like, very obvious cook. that that's very fake. It's like the... I'm going to cook this last <laughs> pancake as the lights come up. Oh yeah, and it's very obviously like okay, it's probably cardboard. You know, none of that's real. And it it reminded me of um, when we did drowsy. So you would always have to bring me martinis. And remember, I think it was like the second or third. Um, dress rehearsal and obviously my martini glass was just water you know I, w I was just drinking water and I think it got to a point where whenever you were bringing me champagne I was like Derek let's put a drop of food coloring in it like not enough to turn my mouth anything crazy but let's put a little bit in there so it, it would look the color of champagne and then I remember you started putting I don't like olives so we started getting the green grapes remember and I would have you put a green grape in the bottom of my martini glass Yes, and there were like 70 of them out there throughout the entire show because we'd prep them all before the show and then I'd just keep bringing them to you throughout instead of using the same glass over and over. Yeah, we and nobody told us to do that. We just wanted my drinks to look authentic. And I, to be honest, I don't even know us if anybody <laughs> ever noticed we put that little extra detail in there. Probably not, especially, from, especially knowing now what I know about stage production and, and thinking about the way things were lit at that school and what you could see in that theater from the stage. Nobody could tell. They couldn't tell the difference. I know. I, the only time I think anybody could tell was there were a couple performances where to be funny, I would pick the the grape out and eat it. Like if I was just in the background and I had nothing to like sing or do anything to where eating a grape would. Yeah, and I know because actually that. most of the time, like most of the time, props like that are done. And because there was another reason why you wanted to have actual liquid on stage. I think it had to do something. I don't remember why, but because most of the time you just paint the inside of the glass and that's enough for stage. I wanted actual liquid because I had it was prohibition and I had a flask and I would have you bring me real liquid so they could see me pull my flask out and refill my cup. The only time she we used fake was when I <laughs> the only time we used fake was the couple of big dance numbers where I had to dance with the martini glass in my hand because we didn't want water to spill on the floor but and, but and dance was always and it was always fun because dance was always you know with quotations with drowsy because she was constantly 
on something on yeah, even was, some sort of I was her drunk. blood alcohol level was at least at a 50 percent all the time <laughs> all the time I, I the first thing i walked i walked in and said in the show was that i i i need the bar and you're like man it's it's prohibition and i'm like that's all right i got my flask you know <laughs> um <laughs> what a what a what a fun show but um yes this breakfast in schmigadoon with danny is insane um and then he goes into song and it's you done tamed me because now he's hers. He's no longer a bachelor, complete opposite of what we heard in episode one. And he he's singing about that. And then all of a sudden he starts to panic about how a broken, busted carny like me will provide for his and Melissa's hypothetical child. Um, and so for those of you who know the show Carousel, this is an exact variation of soliloquy, um, from, from Carousel. We talked about the references to it last week, even lightly in his uh, song, in this song from last week. Right, right. But this like even more so like with complete with panic over whether the child could be like boy or girl, but also there's an exact like line which is the line of where he makes that vague different um difference between having to steal money or even take it like that is directly from there and i i saw an interview right right and i saw an interview from um writer paul who said i wanted to write the song that's a memory of soliloquy in my head but not directly ripping it off and that line of steal money or even take it always bothered me um and he he said oscar hammerstein you could you you can do better than that and i just i saw that interview and i just laughed because i thought rogers and hammerstein here we are we're talking about like the greats the people behind all of the shows that schmigadoon is based off of and he's like you can do better than that so because you can do better than that i put it in this show <laughs> just to remind you even though you're <laughs> dead just to remind you <laughs> even though you're dead yeah you can do better than that but i just thought that that whole thing was funny my favorite like my favorite part i I could not stop laughing. I loved that he's sitting here, he's singing, he's panicking about it. And she's like, oh, no, 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 no. Like, you don't have to worry. I have an IUD. Like, she's like, I paid a colleague to put a copper, a metal, sh- no, no, a copper, a T-shaped copper instrument in, <laughs> in like, there to, yes. to prevent insemination. And the whole time, like, she's saying this over him singing, I am literally crying from laughter. Like, her, um, her performance in those deliveries were great but also like he has no idea what you're talking about okay oh yeah yeah. that's why she was just like i'm just going to leave you here and then you can just kind of hear as she closes the door he's still like going around and around in circles it's almost like it's almost like westwood did you watch the tv show westworld Mm-mm. Well, or like it's it's almost like the animatronics at Disney are broken, and he's just like go, broken in this loop of going around it's and around. It's like it's a small world after all at Disney World, and every room you go in. It's the same song. Like you keep hearing it from this, from the room behind you, and you go. And even when you're leaving, it's yes. like in your head all day long. Yeah, I got you. I got you. I I know. But what I thought was funny, we don't see him for the rest of this episode. It's like he forgot that he was in a panic and he just didn't care. 
Well, and that's why that's why I mentioned Westworld because in Westworld it's all about it's it's these uh, human humanoid AI robots that have been created and put in a theme park. Uh, so that humans can go and like have a authentic experience in like Westworld or all these different places. So like you can shoot them, you can have you sex with them, you can do everything. They're like practically humans, but they're all AI, and they have these the way they work in the park and interact with people. Similar to games, they have these loops that they're on. But sometimes humans will do things that break them off their loops, and they get stuck, and so they won't show up for later things. And so it's almost like he's stuck off on his loop, still going around in a circle, and that's why he hasn't shown up at all. This is just Westworld season five. (laughs) Interesting. Well, like you said, Melissa leaves. And when she walks out, because she's she's she was leaving and explaining to him that. okay, me and Josh, we just had a lover spat. That's all it was. It's just a lover spat. We're going to go. We're going to figure this out. But she walks out into the town to find this crowd surrounding the gazebo. And they're all screaming, show the ring, show the ring, show the ring. And when she walks up, she finds Betsy, who is announcing her engagement to none other than Josh. Dr. Mm. Josh Skinner. From now on, you guys can call me Mrs. Dr. Josh Skinner. <laughs> and then he's like, psst, psst. Mel, come here. And <laughs> I, I wrote down that in this little, like, um, few couplets of dialogue, Melissa's face from hurt when Betsy's announcing it to anger when she sees Josh and then into humor when Josh is, like, explaining to her he was forced to propose um, it was impeccable. If you like, got stuck in, and if you got stuck in spaghetti with James, and this happened, would you find it funny? I would have. I would have stayed in anger. I'm be honest. I would have stayed in anger if if we had gone and it had been like we weren't engaged or anything yet, and I was waiting on that. And then, like, all this happened. I, I would probably find it funny, but I would immediately let go of the humor and hop right back. Like, she's a lot more forgiving than I would have been. Because once she finds out that's what happened, she kind of laughs it off. And she's like, don't worry. Nobody dies in, in musical theater. You're fine. And then it's like, you know? well, coming from a high school where our um, theater teacher for years, you know, she doesn't like musicals without death. And so we got Sweeney Todd and all those. And I'm just like, <laughs> people die all the time. I mean, freaking Oklahoma, the end of end of Oklahoma, Judd dies. And then they sing the opening credits with him laying there dead on the floor. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't honestly think of very many musicals where people don't die. Well, that's funny. I think they're pointing out the irony of that. You think a musical happiness, I don't know, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, but something something bad is, you know, it's bound to happen, right? Yeah. Well, um, they're sitting here, they're having this this conversation, and there were a couple of things that I wanted to point out. The first was the whole, um, you know, he's like, I, I, he, he tells her like she's a minor, and um, Melissa's like, no duh, like you didn't, you didn't realize that, and she says the whole thing like, have you never seen a Sound of Music because. Uh-huh. Um, Liesl was definitely like a 16 going on 29 moment there, which is so true because um, even in the movie, like Charmaine Carr, who played um, who was who played that character was in college when 
when she was filming being a 16 year old girl like that's just that's just natural and I meant to look up how old Dove Cameron actually is yeah because she's she's, right now she's known for being on Disney Channel right 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 she is but she's 25 yeah you know and so even on her characters on Disney she's in high school you know like that's what she's portraying that's like a musical theater thing like you know you look at like it's 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 uh yeah Broadway and it's like the joke about Broadway is that yeah you have Ben Platt still playing Dear Evan Hansen and you know it's it's yeah yeah but it's but it's because a lot of the times the what the acting required and the actual skill required that person that age usually doesn't have that yet right and so it's like you kind of have to cast older but i think it's also too it's also looking at because even there was it was like that with the women in in musical theater but i feel like it's even sometimes even more in those older movies and sound of music exaggerated even more so in the men too uh because there's always been a joke there's one um broadway backwards or no broadway bears video uh, where they're doing, where it's two guys doing, uh, I am 16 going on 17, da 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 that song from Sound of Music. But the joke every time is is that that he's pretending to be the actor. He's like, I am 16 going on 25, da da And it's like very, it's always mm-hmm. that. It's like the actors, all, especially the male actor, I feel like is often, I mean, even in, you look at history, the gap has just over time gotten actually closer as to what we think uh, a couple should be married. Because you look at like, I think we talked about this last week, the the normal marrying age, you know, you'd get a 40-year-old man marrying a 20-year-old back then. Right. Right. I think I think that's true. I mean, and it's not it's not just a musical theater. I mean, it's it's in TV, it's in film. I mean, I mean that was a big every single with, character with on Glee. That was a big controversy with Gigi when it came back on Broadway was they they weren't they um people were questioning whether they were going to update because i think in the original musical Gigi is like 16 and like the male lead is like 40 yeah in the original musical and they they fixed that but yeah that's that yeah i mean well and just like in glee and in some of these other you know shows every high school musical every single character portrayed high school students and they were adults you know it's just that's normal but i did think that that was a cute little a cute little play on words there 16 going on 29 and i also loved her line um women were so underwritten Mm -hmm. in early musicals and so i just want to you know, say I, I did a little bit of research on that. Um, so Broadway originated in New York in 1750. Um, so there was an actor manager named Walter Murray who built a theater company um, and a musical would show about once every weekend. And at that point, the shows were just really they were just male based. Um, And so they would commonly show a relationship between just young boys and their fathers. And over time, women slowly integrated into Broadway. Um, And as women or as society has changed its point of view on women, so has the theater. But the first like really strong female based shows weren't released until the 1950s with shows like Sound of Music, where, you know, it's written for a female lead. Um, and well, those... and it's Rodgers and Hammerstein. They came in and they kind of changed that. Yeah, they did. And I mean, this stuff like The Sound of Music, My Fair Lady, they became really popular. Um, 
But even then, at that time, which is also what we're seeing now in Schmigadoon, like, musicals all showed how women were supposed to act in that time period, which is more of, like, men are superior. And I think what Melissa is meaning by women were underwritten is that women were aloof, and mm-hmm. they weren't like their bold. intelligence they was weren't, unwritten. They weren't them, you know. They they just did what society told them to do, and they it was almost as if they were lost to what was actually happening around them. And and I love that line. And um, I just want to say as another fun fact, we didn't have our first musical with an all like even female creative team until Waitress came out, and that was in 2015. So even having a, an all-female creative behind-the-ground, I mean, behind-the-scenes team, it, that's only been happening the last six years. Yeah. So um, Barely. Women, women are coming. They ha- we have come a long way, but we, women, you know, they, they, have, they have a little ways to go still in terms of their dominance in, in musical theater. And... You know, I was reading an article that said that a lot of times back in the day, the roles that were written for women were written the way that they were because women could bring an audience in with their vocals, Mm -hmm. like with how they sound in song. So their big moment in a show wouldn't be their storyline. It would be whatever song they were singing. It was If I Loved You or if those those big, yeah, those moments. And that, that takes from opera, that pulls from opera. And that also pulls from, you know, you look at when women were in theater, you go back to the 1930s. Like, yeah, they were in the reviews, but before before... You know, the Golden Age Musical Theater, a lot of the times, most of, most of the time you saw women were as chorus girls or like in the Ziegfeld Follies, mm-hmm. um, where even though, yes, like the famous, obviously, Barbara Streisand, a funny girl, and, and Fanny Bryce is a famous, you know, Ziegfeld girl, but that was a rarity to have her. Um, most of it was about looking at the women in the, in the beautiful pictures and seeing this grandeur, not about... you know learning about women or caring about a woman as a character and yeah that goes into that underwriting of the women weren't you know they were it was almost like it was written like here is what you're supposed to be in society period right and even even to this even to this day there's still some that even if you look at you know i will say there is a lot of I feel like Lori from Oklahoma present in Melissa's character in the writing of Melissa's character. There's a lot of mm-hmm. like the way she thinks and the way she talks or her dialogue that reminds me of Lori from um, Oklahoma, mm-hmm. um, which again, which was one of the first kind of like, well, for then strong female lead, you know, she was, right. she was, you know, she was the one out of all the other women who was kind of not going she had her own path. Um, right. And so like it's, it's, but, but to this day, women are still underwritten. I mean, you look at, um, you know, I think that falls into part of that is like, you look at, there's this gap in musical theater for women, especially black women from like the ages of 28 to 40. Right. Um, like that, you know, like the, you know, the, the Claire Huxtables, those roles, the, that, and they're not, be, you know, the, the smart, especially like the smart black women who aren't slaves, you know, most of our, most of the roles for black people often end up either being something in slavery, like, or, or back in the olden days, like, um, 
what's that show? It's an opera. Um, and it just left my brain. Um, not showboat, but like showboat, like the gem or the guy that sings the black man that sings Old Man River is showboat. Um, and or they are, you know, like hairspray. You have the black chorus and hairspray. Ragtime. Ragtime. It's all just showing mm-hmm. all, you know, we do like, mm-hmm. where the smart, like where the black women of today that of the last 20 years. And right. so well, granted, that's one of the things that I, you know, we're one of my writing partners and I are working on and writing more stuff for. But there's, you know, they're also underwritten in that way of showing, you know, the variety and the race. Because even then, like and even in this cast, uh, you know, when you think about Oklahoma, when you think about most of those shows, yeah, there were women in them, but they were all white women. They weren't, you know, mm-hmm. the, you don't get diversity in the theater for long after even women just enter. And then there's all these issues with, you know, where, you know, the suffragettes and all that wasn't really all women's equal rights. It was white women's equal rights. You know, it wasn't, they weren't, mm-hmm. you know, they, a lot of them would often write the black women out of history because they didn't, they wanted to further their own cause. Well, uh, and and also like, and it's just a negative part of like, our country's society in general is that it's almost like not even just in musical theater but just in history itself they want to write certain parts that have to do with you know african-american history they want to write those out because too many people view that as like a taint you know like that's tainting the image of what history is when in actuality there's so many parts of that that have moved us forward and will continue to move us forward and could even move us farther than it will if we would just embrace it for what it is. And and I agree with you. I I think Hamilton is one of the first shows that actually legitimately blind casts mm-hmm. their show in terms of what blind casting means. Should be. Yeah. You know, and like, it's, it's the first show that like you you truly see ethnicity in its natural form where it's clear that I mean yeah there were certain people that might have been in certain roles because their ethnicity lended itself more towards that role but like it's really it's really truly um that ethnic their ethnicity is it's not that it didn't play in the breaking of the role but it's somehow it's celebrated even without making the show feel disjointed you well, know, it, like it you tells... see, you like you see somebody who um, is a black person, but still looks like a black person and has black hair and has those, you know, yet they're still dressed in the same costume as everybody else versus where if you were blind casting Oklahoma, they wouldn't necessarily look like a black person anymore. They just look like a blank person that right. just happened to be well, darker. That and also like Hamilton, it, it tells the story of history regardless of what the race was of the characters. Correct. And it's, it's you, great because it focus, makes you focus on... On the story. Mm-hmm. And and I think it, it's a great representation of like, regardless of how we think it had to happen in terms of like, well, we think it had to be white people from England to come over here and, and create the new world or whatever. People of other ethnicities and races were just as capable to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And and I love that about that show. And and I think that that's one of the um, and and I do get it. Like there are certain shows you can't blind cast. Like I would never go in and tell the story of Aida with a white <laughs> cast. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. I would never do Dream Girls with no. a white no a I, white I cast. I want to play. I want to. 
play what's her face from hairspray but that will never happen because it doesn't work like that um edna Edna, like I'd be a yeah. very good at that. Yeah, but that doesn't you, work you, like that. <laughs> but it doesn't work that way, right? And there, and so I get that, you know. I, I, and I, I do see that. Like when the story requires you to be a certain, a certain race, it's kind of like this whole controversy with the new Little Mermaid coming out. Mm. So many people are so angry that Ariel is going to be played by a, um, a black woman because Halle Bailey is, is playing. Ariel and I, I'm excited. I think she's gonna kill it. I've I've seen photos of what the movie's looking like. She looks stunning. Her voice is already incredible. It's gonna be great. And there are people who are arguing. Well, Ariel's white. You would be mad if we did Princess of the Frog with a white girl. Well, yeah, we would be because Princess and the Frog tells a story about, about a, a black, black girl woman. growing up in Louisiana trying to make a name for herself. Like there are cultural and ethnical things in that storyline that require her to be black. Ariel is a mythical creature, okay? Yeah. She can be rainbow, she can be blue with purple polka dots, it doesn't matter. Her character, her storyline, her background will not change at all well, and because, because also of the, the color core of her skin. Of art, <clears throat> because the core of art has been white stories, it, it's not the same as the reason why you can't go do the whiz and be Dorothy is because there's been such a stifling. Yeah, we'd love to get to the the place where, yes, ideally an actor should be able to be anything. But the reason why, you know, people, we get upset when James Corden plays yet another gay man is because there are other gay actors who could have done that just as well, if not better, that did not mm -hmm. get a job. It would be different if all of those actors had work and you know and we're doing things and everybody was in a good place then yes then we have the space for james right. Corden to go off and explore this character right. and on something else but we're not right. there yet we're nowhere near there yet we need to focus no, on telling you know we barely got you know in the heights and and that was a you know a surprise uh that it was as authentic as it was and so it's like or not a surprise because of Lin-Manuel Miranda but more a surprise because when you're dealing with a corporation and you're dealing with like HBO you're dealing with a large entity they have a lot of re they have a lot of research and things and so often the art making of art doesn't get put first um right. and often when you put the making of art first then the authenticity can come along with that um but you know, and so it's like we barely got that. So it's like we're not there yet, people. That yes, ideally we want to get there eventually. Probably not in any of our lifetimes, but we we that's one of the things we need to work on, and that's why it's, or at least from from my point of view, that's that's why I think that it's it's not okay to do some of those things those things right now, and and why sometimes you know, oh, we're just going to blind cast seventeen seventy six. Oh, oh, we're just going to do. Like the black version of Hello Dolly. It's like okay, that's great and all that's that, cute. that that you know these these actors have um, jobs. That's wonderful. However, maybe give some more black people some jobs and let us write a story that's about us. And maybe you'll like right. it. And then give these actors something to do that is also about them. Right. That's and that and that truly that that that's it right there. It's just representation in a way that is promoting people of color for who they are and where they are in life. And that's not trying to like dumb them down or tell them like, okay, well, 
we've had this story long enough. Here you go. You can have it. You know, you Mm -hmm. can do your own rendition of it. It's like, I mean, the the even in the culture of just music in general, like so many things have come from black culture, black history, so many forms of music, music styles of music, rock and roll, Dude, food. Um, ra- rock and roll, R&B, all that kind of stuff, you know, but you like the whole Motown era, all that stuff. But so many of those amazing and wonderful moments in musical history were like black people should have been credited more well you know like white privilege came and and they stole those songs and yeah well we'll get to that a little bit more later when we talk about the song um what was the name of the song that they all the women sing um as they cross the bridge the crossing the bridge song we'll talk about that more there yeah yeah we will well let's um this is a great talk. I mean, we could make a whole a whole episode just on just on this, but let's get back to our our story. Um, and what happened? What what is happening now is um, they turn and they realize that Harvey from the inn is putting their bags outside, and they barge in and they're asking him, "Okay, well, what's going on? Um, you know, why why are you putting us out? Blah blah blah." And he lets them know that. Um, He's no longer allowed to keep them there because, of course, dun, 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 Mildred Layton, the reverend's wife, she has come with her her posse, which we now know is called the Mothers Against the Future. Um. I forget. There's something. There's something. I don't know if it's either in Camelot or it's in, I forget exactly what. There, there's, there's something that I remember that that's a direct reference to. Um, there's another... Um, and it might even be what's I don't think it is this, but what's the name of the group in Guys and Dolls? The like um, suffragette, not the, the suffragettes, the Salvation Army group. Don't they have a name, something like that? Oh, the missionary something. I know who you're talking about, but I didn't. I didn't pick up on that. I picked up on Carousel, and I also picked up on um, not Carousel, Camelot, and I also picked up on. Oh, God, I, th- I forgot. I also picked up on, I mean, I know that they didn't reference this from this because this isn't from this era, but I also picked up on Hairspray, and I picked up on, what's the girl's name, the mom, Amber's mom? Uh, well, who who Chris Genoveth played. Um, uh, yes, and who you're talking about, Velma. I can't think of her name, but Amber's mom, you know, she's, oh, gosh, it's going to kill me if I, it's going to, it's going to. Isn't it Velma? Is it Velma? No, Amber's mom in Hairspray. Yeah, it is Velma. You're right. Velma Von Tussle um, is Baltimore Crabs. Well, she, um, it made me think of her and it made me think of, you know, just how against she she was of everything. Anything that was less than her standard, like the size of your nose, the, your weight, your skin color, whatever. She was just prejudiced against everything and, and evil but i I, lo- I laughed when josh said so you're against the future like <laughs> i'm i'm confused and she goes we're against city folks essentially destroying the innocence of their town and she's saying you know exhibit a you took this young girl to the woods last night and turned her astray and exhibit b you slept at the town carney's house and did God who knows what and I love that when she calls Josh out he is like no I didn't nothing happened he's so sincere and she calls Melissa out and she's like 
Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, the same thing happened over there. Exactly yeah, what he over said. Over no- nothing and happened. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and before she leaves, um, Mildred has a great line that I wrote down and said, this is so me. Like, the more I watch this show, as much as I hate Mildred, I would play a great Mildred. <laughs> and she says that line, um... To Harvey about how, you know, he better not give them a room. And she's like, I can read you like a book. Oh, wait. Books have spines. <laughs> and and it's so, I that's so like, like, southern, so southern woman, southern wife. That's so like, like, I, I, I can hear some of like, even some of my teachers growing up. Not to me, but like, I can hear them say, like, it's very like, southern woman blonde. Yeah, it's very almost, it's very Vilma Von Tussle. It's very that. Oh, yeah. This is like and in her I, lineage. I wrote down, I wrote that line down and I put, so me. That is so something I would say to somebody. I would literally say that, oh, wait, books have spines. And I'm probably going to put that in my back pocket for the next time I get into an argument with somebody. Because in the South, we like to be nice, nasty. Like, we like to, we like to say little things like this so that they're, like intended to cut you really deep but we can still play it off as like a hmm, it's not that bad you know kind of a thing um anyways she she leaves and josh is he's actually shocked and kind of hurt that melissa slept with danny like you can tell like he was not expecting that from her he was like for um, me yes from her mm. Yeah, like, I think for him it was like, oh, wait, but, like, you actually have been in love with me all this time. Mm-hmm. How can you do that? Exactly. Um, and they agree that he is going to go call things off with Betsy. Um, I love that Melissa's like, don't worry, you're not going to die. She's like, nobody ever dies. She says that again, but this time she says, well, except for in shows like Oklahoma, Carousel, South Pacific. And as she's saying that, I'm like, check, check, check. Every show we have talked about so far in this podcast, those are the same shows she's referencing. I wonder if they're foreshadowing later in the, the series somebody's going to die. I'll, probably not one of them, but like, I wonder if they're foreshadowing that somebody's going to die. Oh, for sure. For sure. And it'll probably... I don't know who it's going to be, but for sure somebody's going to die. And I know it's definitely not going to be them and it's not going to be Pete, but poor Pete. (laughs) Something happens to him every episode, um, as we will see later on as well. Um, So that's that's where they agree. Um, She's going to go get help from the mayor. He's going to go talk to Betsy. So he goes, he talks to Betsy, who's over the moon. um, And, you know, she's so excited that this wedding is happening. She's me like eight years ago. <laughs> Bless you. Thanks. I had to sneeze. Sorry. So I had to mute myself again. Um. Yeah, Betsy is so me eight years ago. Just that like fantasizing of marriage. I don't know, but... Yeah, Josh no, is is talking to her and she's so oblivious. Bless her heart. <laughs> Bless her heart. Yeah, no, she she I mean it was very it again felt very like Ado Annie from um 
Oklahoma where and like back to the line about unwritten written women it's very this like and I feel like to be honest almost all of the characters are underwritten because they're all kind of living in this like st- stupid stupefied like state of like oh well true love this and this and blah 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 and you could fall in like they live in musical theater world right which we saw with Danny earlier when mm-hmm. he went straight from hey we, we had fun last night to, we have a baby oh my god you're <laughs> pregnant yeah and I even wrote that, that like this episode, like along with the fast pacing, it is a fast, quick change of emotions. Like it's very musical theater. It's very, oh, we're here. Now we're here. Now we're here. Now we're here. Because in, you know, a show you have an hour and a half, two hours to tell a complete story, yeah. start to finish. So everything is changing and evolving relatively quickly. And he's talking to her and he's. You know, he's he's trying to break off this thing. And Betsy says one thing, which is, but of course you do if it's true love or what if it's true. And that little, that one line clicked to Josh as in, yeah, yeah, exactly. That little ding. And, you know, he says, you're right. Who knows what schmigadoon or who knows what this place considers to be true love and so he's like come on we got to go we got to go for a walk on the bridge and I told you guys to keep that story from their friend's wedding um, in mind because here we are at the walking bridge with Betsy and Josh and he's decided he's going to walk the bridge to see if he if that's his way out I mean forget Melissa forget that he just said you know that they're they're going to try to figure things out, that they've both made mistakes, that they're going to move forward, forget all of that. He's at this walking bridge with Betsy, and he is explaining to her that the reason why they have to cross this bridge is because of the most romantic reason in the world. And she's like, well, what is it? And here he is remembering the story, and now it's his family story, and it's the Skinner feeling. It's when you go for a walk over a bridge, you instantly know if you're in love and only only a Skinner can feel it. So it doesn't really matter what she what she feels. Like she could feel it's true love after walking the bridge, but it has to be what he feels. And she conveniently won't know or won't feel. Very yeah, won't know or won't through, feel. Through that in at the end. But um, he's walking. Um, they walk across the bridge and... She's not his way out. That's not true love. And at least not right now. I mean, it's the same thing with Melissa. It's like Melissa may not have been his true love at the beginning of the series, but in the end, there's a great chance she will be. We don't know um, how they're going to write that into the story. But as of right now, it's not Betsy either. And so he's he tells her it's not true love. And she says, does that mean the wedding's off? And he's like, yeah, I'm just as confused as you are. And she starts crying and all she can say is Papa's not going to like this. And she takes <laughs> off running. And, um, for, for Josh, it's like, please don't tell your dad, please don't tell your dad, please don't tell your dad. Um, but yeah, I, I thought Josh was a complete jerk in in this scene um oh well yeah you know he it it was just another thing of i was like oh 
like, okay, he, he was, when I saw him a little bit hurt and upset at the end, I was like, okay, maybe he does care for Melissa. And then now I'm like, nope, he's back onto just thinking about himself, just putting himself forward, what he needs. He doesn't care who he's hurting. And whether or not I agree with his engagement to Betsy, she, you know, to her, this was, but but to, to her knowledge and to her, like the world that she lives in, this was true love. Yeah, this is true love. This is fate. And he just destroyed her. Um, so now it's like you've you've broken two hearts in the matter of 24 hours. Mm-hmm. You know, like good for you, Josh. Good for you. And, you know, and, third time's a charm because it, of course, will come back up one more time. You're right. Everything happens and in threes. <laughs> we, um, we leave the bridge and we find Melissa at the mayor's house with Florence um, or Mrs. Minlove, his wife. And she she went to talk to Mayor Minlove, but he's out on another one of his walks um, per Florence. So she's having that conver- conversation with him. And um, the things that before we get into the song and the scene, the things that I thought were interesting was one, you know, she, she said, oh, the mayor's not going to go against Mildred or, you know, the other women in the Mothers Against the Future Club. Mm-hmm. And, you know, no shocker there. We had already said in the in the first episode that Mildred pulls the mayor's strings, you know. Yes. And, but, and I'm also thinking that a lot of that is because he doesn't want himself to come into question because he's not ready for the world to know who he is authentically yet. Um, and then Mrs. Minlove also, you know, they're talking about, well, where are we going to stay? We don't know what to do. Mildred's kicked us out. And she informs Melissa of a job opening, um, to be a nurse for Doc Lopez, which is one of the doctors in the in the town. Um, and that being his nurse offers room and board. And I love the line that Melissa says, oh, you know, I'm kind of overqualified for that. I'm actually a doctor. Um, because Mrs. Minlove has no concept of a woman being a doctor. Yes. You know, in this era, women were nurses, men were doctors. That's Mm -hmm. it. Like we have not progressed to the point of time where women were doctors yet. So and I think after she said it, she realized like, okay, she doesn't get it. Like I I can't even be offended anymore because this is like this is like the third time I think she's kind of said that and everybody's been like, what? Yeah. Yeah. Like they just kind of gloss over it. Like, oh, you're so cute. You know, um, and then we get into the song of He's a Queer One, That Man of Mine, which is Mrs. Minlove. And I know you were so excited to hear her sing. Yes. Um, and, I, and I was too. And this song is about the difficulties of loving Mayor Minlove. Um, so in its lyrics, the song references carousels, You're a Queer One, Julie Jordan. Um, though there are also some elements of carousels, what's the use of wandering? And also the king and I's something wonderful in which women from these classic musicals excuse men's terrible behavior. Um, I want to point out that every time they're saying the word queer here, they don't mean gay. They mean strange or peculiar Mm-hmm. You know, they're just talking about like there's something there's something different about him. Um, it's just like the use of gay in the last episode. It really in the time period it means happy, but also the writers are using it to be like wink, a play on wink, words. Nudge, nudge. 
Yeah, it's a play on words for sure. Um, and everything in this song is very, it's very um, prevalent that everything she sees as a positive, we all see as a negative in terms of their marriage. Everything that she's listing as a good thing in their marriage, we in the audience are like, okay, but that's actually bad for you yeah. because he doesn't love you. Um but she's, you know, she's in the golden age and therefore she's, she's kind of, at first, the first time I watched it, I was like, she's completely unaware of the bigger picture. You know, she's, she's unaware, even down to the line where she says, you know, he's, he's great, but I wish he'd be a little bit more aggressive at night, you she's know, like, like, there it is. And I'm like, okay, there, there you go. And then the second time I watched it, it wasn't in the song. It was in the lines after the song where Melissa was like, you know, you can encourage him to be who he is. And um, Mrs. Minlove says, no, I can't do that. It, it's his choice. And after I watched the, sh the episode a second and third time, I realized, oh, no, she's completely aware. Oh, yeah. She, and I think this is she's to, like, a, she's just aware by, like, as well. Most of the women, you know, that, you know, when you look at like up until time, even to this day, a lot of wives that, well... A lot of the wives, especially once they get older, when they get to that point, they if their husband is gay or on the spectrum or, you know, especially like, you know, back in the day, especially when you just married, especially as a gay man where you you, you married a wife, especially once they got over there, the wife knew. They, they knew. Right. I mean, I think she knew. Just like parents know when their child is gay. They might not accept it. They might not but they know. realize or it, but they know. Yeah, and and it became you know, and everything she she said in the first episode, you know, like even the whole well, we didn't do any, you know, we didn't get much sleep because of the roosters in the back. Like she knew that night, she knew the night that they're on their their honeymoon when there was no intimacy, you know, and she's known, and I think that she's hiding it for him because she loves him. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't well, even it, matter. You see that in a lot of those relationships, it's like yeah, just because he was gay or just because um, you know. They even in the ones that got divorced, it doesn't mean they didn't love each other. Right, right, right. She, she, she loves him. They, they have a friendship. You know, they have a bond, and so she's going to protect him. And, um, but, but she's, she's aware. And I wrote in big capital letters the statues. Oh my God, the statues. Yes, the statues. Like Just the slow cuts <laughs> to all the statues. And every time she'd say something, and then Melissa would just look at at these statues, and and the statues are and they progressively. They were in threes. There were three of them, and they progressively got, got worse. more <laughs> more explicit. Yes, and it's two men, and you guys can just mentally image what two statues that get what what a statue of two men that gets more and more explicit over time. What that is. Well, and like also too, it's like it's like even in like. Um, uh, Oh, what is that? The, the you've seen the Birdcage, the movie, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like that. Even like think about the bowls at the dinner. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's very that, and it's I, very. I, oh, it's very. Um, did you ever go to the Marble Ring? No, I didn't. So the Marble Ring, R.I.P. to it. Um, it COVID took it, killed it. Um, it was a speakeasy here in, in Birmingham, in the Avondale area of town. Um, and I loved that place. It was a 1920s, great Gatsby, roaring jazz, beautiful speakeasy. You walked in through uh, um, 
a hot dog place. It was a restaurant that sold all hot dogs. And you went into their phone booth and you picked up the phone and it would ring the speakeasy. You tell them how many were in your party and the wall on the inside of the phone booth would open up and you'd go in and you'd enjoy your night. And it was great. Um, that's where James and I had our engagement pictures done. Um, but the wallpaper, the first night I went, we went with a group of friends. They they really thought that, Lynn, this is going to be your new favorite bar. And it, it did become my favorite bar. I mean, our whole wedding was great Gatsby. I love the 20s. I love everything about that, that time period, that era, the style, the drama, the elegance. Um, and so I did. I loved that bar a lot. But we're sitting there and my friend Ashley goes, I need you to look, go look at the wallpaper and tell me what it is. I was like, what? She was like, the wallpaper, what is it? And I, I looked up, I was like, I don't know, it looks like flowers. And she was like, no, you have to go get up and go look at the wallpaper. And it, it is flowers from afar, but the closer you get, the more clearly you see that every petal is a different sex position. <laughs> and it's just this like hidden message, you know, and I'm just, I, I thought about that as I was looking at these statues. I was like, now, you know, she knows what's going on here but also she's playing it off like it's just art so good for you Florence good for you Florence I'm gonna call her Flo I, I like her a lot um <laughs> what did you think about about her song though I liked it I mean yeah I, I knew it was obviously the a reference to your crew when Julie Jordan um but it was good I mean granted I know Anne Harada can do a lot more. However, it was very appropriate for the character. And it was it was yet, like you said, another reference to usually the mayor's wife or usually that wife, the, the wife of one of the male leads will have that song about their husband or about that. Um, and I was like, okay, this fits very in line with all of those musicals and with all of, um, you know, just kind of the structure of musical theater. But I, I thought it was a good song. It was a very well-written song. Uh, and it was... Obviously, all the things we talked about that were um, funny, all the statues were hilarious. Um, but it was, you know, it was, it was clever writing and it was clever, clever lyrics where, like, as you went through, you could tell she she knows. Um, yeah, she But does. she also respects her husband and, um, you know... It's one of those things that kind of brings to the point of like where it's like if you're loved, yeah, you yeah you you need intimacy. That is also a need, but um, especially in that time with there's only so many people. If you're loved and you have a good relationship, um, it kind of makes you start to think about how we base a lot of our relationships off of sex first, and then everything is built around it. Mm. Versus mm -hmm. taking that out of the center and revolving your relationship around the person. Yeah, I think that that's one thing about James and I that I appreciate so much is, yes, intimacy is super important. He's my husband. And having our time to, to just be husband and wife in that aspect is incredibly important. But at the end of the day, there are days where maybe we go, you know, a few days or however long without without that aspect happening, you know, we, we, three, four days. And I don't feel any, any less love there. Like at the end of the day, my husband is my very best friend. 
and we can sit down and watch stupid TV shows together. We can laugh about some of the silliest, dumbest things. And, and for me, having that, like to me, that is so much more intimate than even sex. The fact that my husband and I can sit in a room and just sit quietly and watch TV and not speak at all, or like I can sit here and be watching the episodes for this podcast and him just watching them with me just because he, you know, he wants to be near me, but we're not talking and actually like I'm working, I'm, I'm researching, I'm doing stuff, but, but he's just here and I can still feel like the intimacy between us, you mm-hmm. know, it runs deeper than a physical thing. It's, it's an emotional thing for us. And so I think that for her in this show, like, yeah, there's no physical intimacy there, but I think for her and even, you know, I'm not saying not for him either, but we're hearing this from her, her side of the story right now. I think for her, the intimacy is there in the form of friendship. And that is why yeah. she is able to be so supportive and so strong. And that's why she, like I said, lets Melissa know, I'm not telling, I'm, I'm not going to go to him and tell him I know because that's, that's um, making him come out before he's ready. Mm-hmm. You know, like he's got to be the one that's ready. And, and I think that that's such a, a great and beautiful thing. Um, but let's, uh, move on, shall we? (laughs) Moving on. Um, Carson busts into the house, our little sweet Carson, um, to announce that the wedding was called off. And this makes Melissa think that maybe Josh is ready to work on them and actually commit. But little does she know, he's off at the bridge trying to find his way out with literally any woman any woman that he, he can so yeah so <laughs> he's at the bridge he's telling every townswoman the story about the skinner feeling um and here we are at cross that bridge which is this song that is a sudden jolt of energy um i wrote down that this was another guys and dolls moment for me because I felt like the style of this song was very similar to that gospely big ensemble number that you get in Sit Down You're Rocking the Boat yeah. in Guys and Dolls. It's yes. very I mean it, it's just very like oh my gosh here we are we're going to do this and this is and it's also kind of like an empowerment like in Guys and Dolls that was their like sit down like you're you're going to mess this up for us like we've got to keep doing what we're doing. We're not going to let these women in our lives tell us what we're going to do. We're going to be men and, you know, whatever else. And so, and it's this big gospel number and it's great. And then um, this is also these women saying like, oh my gosh, like I've never thought of it this way before, but if we want what we want, we've got to go get it. Mm-hmm. And well, we and, and can when they, go get and it. And when they did that introduction, and this is, this is the song I actually took issue with, um, they, when they did the introduction, I thought they were going to go, even though Mary the Man Today and Guys and Dolls is only a duet, I thought it was going to go there. Because like, even the introduction sounded more like the lead up to Mary the Man Today. Um, yes, that is true too. And I, um, that that is that is true. Uh, Mary the Man Today and Change His Ways Tomorrow. And, and for them, that is that is a great reference too, because this whole song is them saying, 
just go get the guy mm -hmm. and then i can just, change his just way get the guy yeah. what you want and you can you can worry about your it's your love yeah. story after you've gotten him yeah and so that's where i thought they were going to go but then they kind of launched into this which this style song has been around I mean, like you said there's this isn't it's in guys and dolls even sondheim is representing certain things but this kind of like and i think this really became popular in like the late 40s early 50s and and it's and I, it, it's almost at this point become its own like genre of music because there's so many things kind of written in that but it's it's what it truly is is like it's it's a bastardization and like appropriation of gospel music is really what it is yeah. um and it's very and it's, so it's very it's it's very interesting watching numbers like this and like 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 sometimes like even I've written numbers like this um for comedic purposes to make a point not to this was this felt more like a oh we're celebrating this kind of a number and i'm like let's get away from this kind of number because it's like for me especially you know as you know people might not essentially this but like it's the same as taking um you know a cultural headpiece from a, from a native american culture and wearing it and, and to do a praise number whereas this is this is how black people praise god and you know with this type right. of music yes it can be right. used in that kind of a beat way and it can be used um but like this and this comes from that tradition of like it's it's almost and, and it's it's i cringe a lot of the times i love movies from the 40s and the 50s and 60s and i love watching like the carol burnett show and i have and i know this is nothing against them because they were more so playing into what was popular at the time and it's very like everybody was doing this but like when I, as a black person that grew up with this the music that it's referencing it just kind of feels thin and like a bastardization of what really that music is almost uh, like a backhanded compliment yeah yeah and and, yeah. and it's like i i get that this is a reference and, and it's like you know like for instance there's this show they wrote music for or some of the music for called cat morningwood and there's a song in um the um show that that this republican senator who is trying to take down this gay camp and like build a mega church, uh, sings a song called fill your hole. And it's this kind of, that kind of campy, like, cause it's also like, there's weird lines where it's like, it is kind of sort of Southern, Southern gospel. And like when you think about Southern gospel, that really is white people. And so it's like, where is that line? And then where is, is Southern gospel really truly is really another, like it's, it came again, came from from black people and so that's why i say that it kind of is its own genre but even this still felt like that that like bastardization of it and and like in the musical i was talking about it is that but the republican senator sings that and we chose that music for it to make a point of to exaggerate the odd the 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 um what's the word i'm looking for to exaggerate kind of his his menace and how he's you know coming in to take over this camp and, and almost under false pretenses. Right. Um, and so that's kind of where, and there are other, there been other songs and musicals granted, luckily the, the palette of musical theater or of musical theater that's being written today has started to shift away from that. And when you do hear stuff that is gospel music, it is in more of a, you know, it is in more of a artistic way that is supporting the art and not kind of, coming from this but it because it's very much so i know it was a white person was like oh i love this let me make this and then it turned it into that kind of bland two chords and like that's not really what it should be 
Um, right. And I'm like at the same time, and 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 because at first, you know, I oftentimes just go along with it, but at first, it kind of took me a second to get to the point. I was like, no, I should be a little upset about that because yes, this is the music. You know, it's kind of like I had just gotten used to going along with, you know, this is the world we live in. But it's like, no, this is a bastardization of something that we as black people hold sacred, and right. it should be looked at and t- you know taken as seriously as you know a native make a Native American headdress, like you know, and and things like that. And so that is kind of where I, you know, it is hard because at the same time, I love Sit Down and You're Rocking the Boat. I love listening to it, especially when when Titus did the show on Broadway and he did his version of it. And I was like, that's my favorite version, but it's my favorite version because he's bringing actual authenticity to the style of the song. And it's like, oh, this is what the song should be, and like, yeah. or like, there's this, um, there's this rendition. If you if you ever have time to go look it up, look up, um, um, what is the name of the musical? Hercules. It's called Hercules Medley, and it's like five or seven black men that have kind of that arranged this melody, and it's all of the. I kind of describe it as like a melody of music from Hercules, but if black people had written it. Right. Uh, and which is like the same melody, the same kind of rhythms, but it just it just feels completely different. And it feels from a different it's like, oh, and it's like, see people imagine if this is what the musical had been. Imagine if they had put their money behind somebody to do this. You know, you right. think just this snippet is amazing. Imagine if you had it had been created right from the beginning. Now, granted, the Hercules and a lot of those Alamican stories are, are wonderful. Um, and even and even Hercules feels more like an appreciation than appropriation. Like there's something about the way that he writes his music and there's you can there there's I can tell that he appreciates and also to where he it's how he uses it. But like for mm-hmm. this number where it's like about that, it's like now now you're really removing it from, you know, from from its context and right. appropriating it. Right. And that is true. And I think that there are ways where you can do stuff like that and and bridge all of the elements t- together. And sometimes those opportunities are even missed, you know, like, um, for instance, at our church, um, we we just do obviously most churches, their praise and worship team, they do a lot of the songs that are just like popular right now. And we do, we do a lot of that, but like Elijah, our, um, our worship leader who I I shouted out at the beginning, I feel like he's doing a really good job at trying to mix a little bit of the here and the there, you know, we, we do everything from Hillsong to CC Winans to like literally like just old hymns and, and just, he tries so hard to bridge all those little variations together. Elijah is, is, is black, um, but he is so great at saying here you are you're good at this like I he picks on me all the time because I'll be like Elijah I'm tired of singing soprano and he's like I I mean I hate to bring it to you but that's that that is your gift you are a a true soprano so you know what you have to sing you have to sing soprano and I'm like okay great and he's really good at putting people and blending voices you know, all of our voices, no matter who we are or like what background we come from. I mean, some of us, literally this style of worship is all we've known. And then there's there's some of us who come from, you know, real true Southern Baptist backgrounds or 
Pentecostal backgrounds. And, you know, all of us, we've grown up with a different style and form of worship. And rather than making fun or over-exaggerating those different styles, he's finding a way to naturally blend them all. Because at the end of the day, worship should be exactly that. It should be worship. It should be us coming together from all walks of life to really truthfully just be in the presence of of our Lord and Savior. And um, in, in cases like musical theater and stuff where obviously the premise is not to sit there and worship and, and you know, whatever, that that doesn't grant the same opportunity. If well, no, that makes and, sense. And, and again, you know it's saying? also too, it's the one thing too, too, when it's like, for instance, in the color purple, you, it opens with the service. And so, and mm-hmm. gospel music, but it's used to reference that same thing. And it's used to show the emotions of black people. And it, and right. it makes sense right. in that context, even when it's not in church, because that is just, the, that is the sound that is goes along with that. But like right. this is like, you know, if you took the melody, not the melody, the like the music and the melody to Amazing Grace, and then, re, you know, that was the song. 100%. People, people would be a little bit like, if, if you did that, then people would be like, hmm, that's interesting. And that's kind of how I feel about proper, this. Like, there is a proper place and a proper context for different things, but we've got to get to a point where, like you're saying, we have to realize that sometimes, even in, like, the writers of the show, they obviously are doing it because this whole show is supposed to be a yeah. parody of of what has been it's pointing out the already flaws of musical done. Too. But they could have done that. This they could have even done this same thing, this same style song in a in the church. I mean, we go to the church later. We see Reverend Layton later. Like, I mean, we we could have done this whole thing. They could have have done a nod to sit down, you're rocking the boat or whatever show they were pulling mm-hmm. from when they thought of this in a different way. And and I agree with you um, looking at it from from that point of view. Well, it's just like even like as a, as a musical theater writer, I'm like, but Mary the Man today was more the obvious, like, or not, not even obvious. Like but more I feel the like obvious that was choice. No, it, it is. It is <laughs> I'm like, obvious right, I'm like, was that stronger? But, it, you know, that's also just my opinion. You know, who am I? Maybe Apple will hire me to write the next one. <laughs> just putting it out there into the ether. Just, just putting it in the universe. Apple, listen to this. I know you listen to everything. <laughs> it has, you know, this is why we, this is why we're doing this because it's one of your products. So maybe you'll pay closer attention to it. <laughs> well, Josh is. Um, while they're singing this song, Josh is literally going over the bridge with every single townswoman. Everybody's there. He's. I mean, everybody from. 23 year old which i thought that was a great line we're not going to get back into it because we talked to about that a lot in the last episode just the whole the age thing Mm -hmm. with women in the south but you know she says one line in it is like here i am at 23 and i'm not even married yet and i was like oh sweetheart um but none of them he 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 doesn't make it out with a single soul and um He's like, that can't be all of you guys. And the women start to part. So he thinks that there's one more woman left. And then he realizes it's Melissa who has witnessed, you know, what he's doing. And I thought it was funny how quickly the ensemble left. Yeah, because it's very, you know it's I mean? very, it's, but that's very musical theater of, and very from a director, it's like, okay, we're focusing on this now. Just exit. So you just, just exit. Left. Right, right. And that's what I thought was so funny. And, um, 
Well, Melissa, in this little scene, you know, she's telling Josh, like, she's realized that they're out for themselves. It's not going to be the two of them. They're not working on them. She's got to take care of her now. And he's like, I'm sorry. I'm trying to find the way out and blah, blah, blah. And he's trying to tell her he's trying to look for their answer. But he's not. He's looking for his. And as he's screaming for her, here comes Papa, Betsy's dad, the farmer, with his shotgun, his two-barrel shotgun. And he's shooting. And uh, Josh is running. And then he accidentally shoots Pete. Again. He shot Pete in the first song. And now he's shooting Pete again. That's why, why I said earlier, control. poor Pete. Huh? This is why we need gun control. All these <laughs> right. crazy people with right. all these guns. Okay. Um, <laughs> so Watch, Josh- this whole show has just been an ad for gun control. <laughs> <laughs> so Josh is running and he, he decides to hide in the church where he's met by Reverend Layton. And I think that this this next little couplet of dialogue is my favorite so far in the entire series. Um, and Josh is sitting down and he's he's telling the reverend all about how much of an awful time he's had. And at first he was reluctant. And then he was like, OK, fine, come on. And he starts to tell the reverend. And I feel like a lot of times in people with their spiritual journey, that's how it is. It's like I'm, I'm not going through anything. And then it's like, all right, all right, God, here it is. Like, here's what's going on kind of a thing. Or all right, pastor or all right, friend or whatever. But. Um, he starts to tell Reverend Layton, like, and now all of a sudden, like, I can't seem to find true love. And this next line is probably one of the most beautifully written lines in a show. And the Reverend says, you know, the good book has something to say about that. It says that true love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things and endures all things. So therefore, maybe true love isn't something you find. It's something you make. You know, he's he's saying it takes a lot of work. So it's it's not likely to be something you're just going to stumble upon. It It's going to be something that you make. You make with your with your partner. You make you make together. And I loved that. That so far in this whole series has been my favorite, my favorite dialogue. And I because I think it's that little punch to your face and that little bit of reality that Schmigadoon doesn't have naturally. Like that is the pastor's, I mean, that is the pastor's way of saying like regardless of what this town is and who we are, like the true love and the actual substance of, of what love is, you it's it's not just this like oh i woke up one morning and i saw somebody and boom it's destiny it's it's not that it is actual actual love and i love I, I i love that and their conversation gets cut short because imitate comes to drop off some items um and suddenly you know josh is convinced that since she wasn't at the bridge Classic and she's the only Josh. one that wasn't at the bridge he always hops back on his own train now he doesn't care anymore cuz at first you he know was about i was to get getting into it. Yeah, I was getting into it. Josh was like, <clears throat> excuse me, Josh was admitting that he's actually scared of love. Like he's scared of not being able to obtain that. And then now it's like, boom, okay, I don't care anymore about that fear because there's one more person. That person can get me across the bridge. And um, there's a line, another line that the Reverend says that's so great. And it is... Um, it's about... It's in reference to imitate. And he's like, no, she's not married. Like she's... You know, she's kind of whatever he says about how like she's basically not 
into marriage. You know, like she's decided she doesn't have to have Mm -hmm. a marriage. And then he goes, I wish I was that strong, you know, because he's married to Mildred and Mildred's awful. But literally when we were like tonight recording, talking about Mayor Minlove, I wrote down, I started thinking about this moment. I wrote down, I wonder if the Reverend and the mayor are going to be. In his strong tanned arms. And 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 the Reverend mentions that he wishes he had been strong enough to not get married. And there was also something else. There was also some other timeline about something that lined up with being in the woods all the time. And there's something that, that the priest mentioned, I feel like, that lined up a timeline that I was like, hmm. I don't know. But I I feel like that's a, that's a potential storyline right there. And, and, and I think it would be a great one because then you would see the two wives. One wife would be exceptionally, like, disgusted. And the other one would be exceptionally encouraged you know maybe, like maybe mildred is so uptight because she is a lesbian or maybe she's so uptight and because maybe that's she knows where her she husband. changes into or <laughs> no i think it would be more like she's uptight because she knows her husband is gay and the two wives have just taken very different stances on that Gosh. and then cut to the spinoff but it's just them but like grace and frankie but it's them it's uh and harada and christian Genoa. <laughs> I love Grace and Frankie. I love Grace and Frankie. Has the new season come um, out yet? And so then it ends. We see Melissa walking down the street. She's going to find Doc Lopez. She knocks on the door. An old man answers. Um, she says she's there for the nursing job. He tells her you have the wrong Doc Lopez. And like you said before, here comes the super handsome son. And she is instantly... And what if she says? She says, yee hunk. Yes. And I wrote that down. I wrote that down because that's like the third or fourth time that it has been said just this episode alone. And yee hunk means sexually attractive. That is what it means. I looked really? it up. <laughs> so every time. So when Danny said yee hunk to her when she woke up that morning, he was letting her know she's sexually <laughs> attractive. When she said it like out um when Betsy was announcing her engagement, she said it really sarcastically. You know, uh-huh. she was saying it like, he hunk, like, like, great. Like, obviously, there was some sexual attraction between Josh and Betsy, and now uh-huh. they're engaged. And then now she's saying it, looking at the doc, because she thinks that the doc is, is um, sexually attractive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's like classic you know twist in not even just musical theater but like in everything where it's like oh i'm gonna go work for the doctor i'm gonna work for this person old person shows up oh no you're talking about my son or my daughter and then they're hot yeah yeah it happens all the time and and not even just in musical in in movies and shows every time somebody says oh you're talking about my son and or daughter or my grandson or granddaughter yeah they're in enter the best looking person you've ever seen <laughs> and like i said i thought the show the episode was going to continue from there but that's that's where it ends i know any final thoughts on this episode overall um i think josh is an even bigger jerk than i already thought he was and i think that we're gonna see a lot more variations of couples before this 
whole ride is over. But I think um, we probably recorded a really long time again, but we also had a very great conversation. So thanks for hanging in there with us this whole time and hearing everything. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I enjoyed this episode and I, I'm, I'm excited to see the first, like, I was definitely ready to, and I can't tell if it's because, and maybe this is a, you know, a good trick to learn about when releasing things. Um, I'm not sure if it was more so I got used to the two episode cause they're only 30 minute episodes. So I'm not sure if I got used to having the first two episodes together and that's why I wanted the second episode or if it's because it was that good, I really wanted it. Um, but either way I wanted to watch the next episode immediately after. So yeah, um, it's, it's. They're cutting everything, every episode, like even if they wouldn't have done the first episode and the second episode together, the way the first episode ended, there it would have been a cliffhanger. Yeah, like they're ending every episode on a cliffhanger, on a like, okay, we have to watch the next one to see what happens. It's not like a we can round up the story where we're at, but I, I'm still very proud. Do we have a cliffhanger proud. to leave everybody with? Huh? Do we have a cliffhanger we can leave everybody with underneath? What? I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, this has been the second episode of Schmigadoonery, the number one podcast for dissecting and reviewing the new Apple TV show Schmigadoon. If you enjoyed listening, please make sure to comment, like, and subscribe to us wherever you are listening. You can find us on Apple Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else podcasts are found. We will be putting out weekly episodes every Monday around noon. You can also watch the podcast on our YouTube page, Mosaics. That's M-O-S-A-I-X. Subscribe to us at Watch Mosaics across all, so- all, uh, across all social media platforms. Until next time, enjoy your corn pudding. Yes, enjoy some for us. Bye, guys. I think they want us to take a break. I'm not singing, and you're not singing. Come on, could be fun. No, do not. Never had corn pudding. Why? And it may.